0: You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit harvestyorkregion.ca. Well, let's get our Bibles out and turn to Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah chapter 1, if you don't spend very much time in the Old Testament, if you kind of open your Bible to the middle, you'll probably be somewhere near the book of Psalms and uh, go left and uh, eventually you'll get to Nehemiah, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms. And uh, so, Nehemiah chapter one, that'll be our text today as uh, we continue in our series. We, the church, the message is unceasing prayer. Unceasing prayer. Uh, We've been looking at over the last uh, weeks the uh, pillars of Harvest Bible Chapel. The first one was unashamed proclamation, proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology. Then we looked at um, unashamed worship, lifting high the name of Jesus Christ in worship. And then Unafraid Witness, that was last week, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with boldness. And this week, we dive into the pillar about prayer, Um, believing firmly in the power of prayer. So here's a question for you. Um, Do you pray enough? Anybody in the room who would say, I pray enough? Do you pray with enough fervency? do you really really when you close your eyes and get on your knees or sit on the edge of your bed or uh, you're at the table before a meal do do you ever really stop and realize that you're entering into the presence of almighty god do you pray with enough fervency Uh, how about this one Uh, do you pray at all Uh, do you pray at all uh, can you say that in the last week on any given day you spent more than uh, saying grace before a meal as a time you spent in prayer? Do you believe in prayer and do you actually pray at all? I don't know anyone who would say, I've got this down. I've got this part figured out. I've got this nailed. We all realize that we have so much to learn in this area when it comes to, to prayer. Prayer spurs on more prayer. Paul said, pray without ceasing because this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Being a people of God, unceasing prayer. So you get your Bibles open now, I trust. Let's stand together. We wanna to honor God as we uh, read his word. I'm gonna read Nehemiah uh, chapter one. It's uh, not a long chapter. I'm gonna read the, the entire passage. The word of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, now it happened in the month of Chisley in the 20th year as I was in Susa the capital that Han and I, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant that are, in, that are there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you commanded your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the outermost part of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was the cupbearer to the king. Let's pray. Father, as we examine the response of Nehemiah and his prayer, God, would you use it to spur us on? Would you uh, use it to give us a passion for how we can come before you, how we should come before you, how you took this man and you used him beyond what he ever imagined? And the foundation that we learned from him was the foundation of prayer. So Lord, would you give us ears to hear your word today? Would you give us minds that we would understand it, but then, Lord, would you give us a passion that as a result of your word, as a result of what we'll hear from Nehemiah chapter one and from other scriptures right across the Bible, Lord, you'd give us uh, a passion to be people unceasing in prayer before you. Or do the work that only you can do today. Do it in us for your fame and glory, we ask in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thank you, you can take your seats. Well, Nehemiah is really an amazing story of how uh, regular people can make a difference. Nehemiah wasn't a prophet. Uh, Nehemiah wasn't a priest. Uh, Nehemiah was a man who was still living in exile, as it were. Now, God had prospered him and... Uh, um, although he was in a place where he didn't have all the freedoms he would like, uh, he had a position that uh, God had raised him up into, and um, had great authority in that. It says in verse eleven, the very last part of the uh, of the chap of of this chapter. Now I was the cupbearer uh, to the king. Now I was the cupbearer to the the king. That was an important job. It was a critical job. It was a job that probably would cause you to pray a lot because as the cupbearer to the king, uh, you had some great privilege. First of all, you had access to the king. You were the one who would bring him his cup. You were the one who would bring him his food. Uh, But you also had a downside to that job. You were also the taste tester for the king. And uh, if somebody was trying to do away with the king through poisoning, uh, you likely went down first. And uh, so you can imagine every day as you're checking his Cheerios out or his, you know, his ham sandwich for lunch, probably not a ham sandwich. And if you were checking out his, you were, you were like, okay, okay, I uh, hope I'm going to make it to dinner. And, uh, and so I can imagine if I had a job like that, I would pray a lot and um, But he wasn't a prophet, he wasn't a priest, he was a a regular guy who God put in a position and then God used him amazingly. He was a man who believed firmly in the power of prayer. Uh, the book of Nehemiah, although in our Bibles it's um, a little to the left of uh, the center of your Bible, it's, that's not where it happens on the timeline of history. Uh, the Old Testament is put together certain ways and, and it all finishes up with all of the prophets. Um, the book of Nehemiah actually happens right near the very end of the Old Testament. It's right about the time when Malachi is writing. It's happening just before the years of, of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, you remember in the nations, the uh, north was taken into captivity first and then the south was taken into captivity because of their disobedience. And those captivities are over and people are moving back. And, uh, but the, the nation is still not put together. And Jerusalem, at the time of his writing, the walls are still torn down. And we see that in verse, in verse three. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exiles in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. So what we wanna do for the rest of our time together is take a look at, well, Nehemiah hears this. What did he do? What did he do? And the rest of this chapter is really his prayer. And what I want us to glean from this is seven principles for today from Nehemiah's prayer. What can we learn today from Nehemiah's prayer? so here's the first thing. And then you can think about how this relates to your sense of prayer and priority of prayer. Here's the very first thing. His prayer, it was immediate to the need. His prayer was immediate to the need. Look what verse four says. As soon as I heard these words, As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. His prayer was immediate. Is that what happens for you? Is that the way your life plays itself out? Uh, When you get the news of something that's going on, is that what you do first? When you got the last bit of bad news you had or, or, you know, the last news about a job or the last news about a family member or the last news about a need for surgery or the last news of whatever it was, was the first thing you did, was it to pray? See, I so often myself get caught up in, I hear some news, there's something we need to do and what's the first thing I do? I try and fix it. I try and fix it. I don't go to the Lord on my knees before him first. And he hears this news of what's going on in Jerusalem. And he sits down. And he mourns for days. And he prays. What does it take for you? What does it take for me for us to get to? Oh my, I better pray about this. His prayer was immediate to the need. He didn't ignore the problem. He didn't set aside the problem. He didn't try to fix it. He didn't try to do any of those things first. His first response when he heard was to sit down and to pray. God help us to learn that and be like that in our lives instead of always trying to manipulate things and fix things and and get them in the order we want them in. And his prayer was immediate to the need. That's the first thing. Seven principles for today from Nehemiah's prayer. Here's the second thing. His prayer came from a foundation of brokenness. His prayer came from a foundation of brokenness. Look what it says in verse four. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and I mourned. He came to God in a sense of brokenness. And do we come to God like that? The Bible says, God is in heaven, you are on earth. Let your words be few. In Isaiah 6, I saw the Lord high and lift up. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And he falls on his face before God and he, he cries out to God and do we come to God in a sense of brokenness when we consider who we are, when we consider our condition, when we, when we consider the nation that we live in, when we consider all the privileges that we've had and how we are responding to them and, and then that's laid out before us in that sense of failure and do we come to God immediately but do we come to God from a sense of, Lord, if you don't do this, God, I'm only counting on you for this because I can't do this anymore. Do we come to God from a sense of of a foundation of brokenness? I sat down and wept, it said. When was the last time? When was the last time you sat down and wept? Wept over your sin. When was the last time you sat down and wept over the condition of our nation?" It's in a free fall to who knows what, but it's not going in a good way. When was the last time when you heard the news of our nation that you sat down and and you wept? Wept over your own sin, wept over the sin of the nation? See, Nehemiah comes to God not on Nehemiah's terms. He comes to God on God's terms. And so the first thing he did was he prayed. He did it immediately. He did it from a foundation of brokenness. The Bible says some things about this. You're going to have to get your pens going. Just write down the references. Psalm 34:18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed in spirit. Psalm 51, 8 to 10, this is a psalm about David's failure and fall with Bathsheba and the death of Uriah and his restoration. In Psalm 51, verse 8, it says, Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. The sacrifices of God are a broken And contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. That's Psalm 51, eight to 10 and verse 17. Psalm 147, three, he heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. Uh, James 4, six says, but he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Nehemiah comes to God and he comes to him in a sense of, of brokenness. I don't deserve to come to you, Lord. I don't deserve this privilege to come before you. You are God in heaven. Here I am on earth. And yet as followers of Jesus Christ, we're told we can come boldly because of who Jesus Christ is and what he's done. Here's the third thing. His prayer, is focused vertically. His prayer is focused vertically. You go, well, isn't that kind of obvious? Isn't that the way our prayers are supposed to be? Well, think about your prayer life. Think about the times you do spend in prayer and how much of it is really about God in heaven and you on earth and how much of it is about Lord, I need this and we need this and I want this and help us with this and nothing wrong with those things. Those are all good things and he's actually going to come to them but in this part of his prayer, he has a focus and his, his, his focus is, is vertical. In verses five and the first part of verse six, it says, and I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keeps his commandment. Let your ear be attentive. And your eyes be open to hear the prayer of your servant, that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants. His focus is vertical. He sees God as great and awesome, his holiness. He sees his his character. And he says some things about that in this verse, some things that he understands about who God is as he comes to him and he cries out to him. He sees God as one who is a promise keeper and a covenant keeper. God, you make your promises and you keep your promises. Hey, that's the God I pray to, the God who makes his promises, the God who keeps his promises. And, And Nehemiah had that focus. Here's another thing he saw, a God whose love, it never fails. I said, Oh Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him. Uh, what an amazing privilege is we consider that we come towards God in, in vertical prayer, that we come to him and we know that his love never fails. His love never fails. Then he goes on and he says, um, Let your ear be attentive. Let your ear be attentive and uh, let your eyes be open. He sees God as the one who listens. Oh, Lord, listen to my prayer. I cry out to you from a burden, from a broken heart, from a, and God, I ask you that you would listen to my prayer. And Nehemiah understood that God hears our prayers. But you say, I pray, it doesn't seem like God's very close. It doesn't even seem like he's listening. As a matter of fact, when I pray, it seems like God's tuned out to what I'm trying to say. And uh, Well, you need to understand the rest of what Nehemiah has done in his prayer. We'll see it as he goes. But he he comes to God, not with, i got a right to come to you, demand whatever I want. More like, God, I'm on my face before you. I barely would lift up my eyes to you. And I come to you like that, and you hear my prayers. If you don't think God hears your prayers, you need to, first of all, get a mirror out and look at your own soul and see what's there and see why it feels like your prayers are going to hear and aren't going any further. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Bible says, the Lord won't hear me and so you're it sounds like your your prayer is just bouncing off the top of your head it's never going anywhere it's because you're not in a right relationship with God and when you get that right and you get in his word and you are feeding together and you are growing in Christ the times we have in prayer become sweet and we realize and we understand that God listens to us not only does he listen but he sees what it says Let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open God, I know you see. I know you know what's going on. I know this isn't new news to you. The God who keeps his promises, the God who never fails, the God who listens, the God who sees, and here's the last one, the God who is available 24-7. The God who is available 24 7. You say it says 24 7 in the passage? Well, it kind of does. It says, um, Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open in your, to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night. Day and night. Day and night. He kept coming day and night because he saw who God was and he understood that God not only listened and God not only saw, but God was the, the, not a, uh, he was the available resource that Nehemiah needed and he was available day and night. So seven principles for today from Nehemiah's prayer. His prayer was focused vertically. Here's the fourth one. His prayer, he doesn't give up. He doesn't give up. And that's back to, he prayed day and and night, But back in verse 4, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And so as Nehemiah comes before the Lord with this burden of the shame and the relationship of the people before God and the tearing down of the walls, he doesn't give up. I mourned day and night and I continued and day and night and day after day and day after day and day day after day and day after day and day after day and pastor would just stop who have you given up on what have you given up on he didn't give up this wasn't like he was going to pray and the answer was going to come and the next day it was going to be over this was going to take some time this was going to take months this was going to take maybe from the time he started till it was done who knows how long the period of time was but he didn't give up And we don't give up when we pray. There are people who are in your life. We talked about the green apples in your life, the family members who are in your life. You don't ever give up on those people, ever. You keep, as long as God gives them breath, you keep praying for them. And you don't give up. You don't give up praying for your kids they're going through school, and they're doing so well right now, and you kind of, well, there that's taken care of. And No, you keep praying, and you pray for them day after day after day, and you don't ever give up. He didn't, and God used him in a way that he probably never would have imagined because he doesn't give up. We don't give up because God is the supplier of everything we need. He is the one who gives us the strength for what we need to do. Uh, Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Isaiah 41 says, but they that wait for the Lord. See, so often we give up because we're not waiting for the Lord. I got my time frame. If it doesn't happen in my time frame, I'm going on to the next thing, the next person, the next project. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, they shall mount up with wings like eagles, they will run and not be weary, they shall walk and not faint luke one thirty seven when you get to the place of i don't i don't think this is ever going to happen, you need to come back to for nothing will be impossible with god jeremiah twenty nine eleven for I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope and Galatians 6 9, let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we fill in the blank. Due season we will reap if we do not give up. If we do not give up. And Nehemiah comes before the Lord and he fasts and he prays day after day. He does it continually. Is that your spirit of your prayer life? you have things you have been burdened with and you're burdened with them for years and you're still burdened for them and you're still praying for them? You're going to see all kinds of things that God does along the way, but there are some things in your life you don't ever give up on. You keep on praying. He doesn't give up. Here's the fifth thing. His prayer, in his prayer, he cries from a repentant heart with confession. He cries from a repentant heart with confession. Look at the last part of of verse 6. It says, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant, Moses. And so he comes to God and he cries from a heart of repentance with confession. He comes to a place of realizing that a turn is needed, that a change is needed, that a hatred of sin is required. And yet our idea of repentance is, I'm going to try not to do that anymore. And and then we wonder why we fall into it again. And and, and the problem is we don't hate our sin. Uh, We dabble in our sin. We don't hate it. We don't turn from it. Not really. We go, yeah, okay, I got caught, and so I'm going to go this way for now. But um, remember the battle, Romans, Romans 12? The battle's for your mind. And Unless you change your mind about these things, you'll never truly repent of anything in your life. As long as it's just, I'm just going to try not to do this, you'll always go back to it. And, and yeah, it's a form of doing because you want to please the Lord and you don't want to be like that, but you don't ever really change your mind about the thing that you keep getting captured in and, and you don't hate your sin. And he talks about it in the context of the nation as he cries out for the nation. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. Acts 3.19 says, Repent therefore and turn again that your sins may be blotted out. Luke 13.3 says, No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise Perish. A sense of repentance, a sense of turning, the reality of changing our mind. It comes in, in confession. And notice the words that he talks about. As he prays, he prays for the nation. He, he prays for them. He says, we. He says, we. As Jason uh, prayed in the uh, prayer before we, I got up to preach today, he talked about our church and, and our sin and uh, calling us to a confession and repentance about things we've buried and opportunities the Lord has given us and gifts we have that we don't use. And um, in a sense, he was praying a corporate prayer of confession for us as, as we have faltered, as we haven't focused like we should. And, and uh, Nehemiah does this. He cries out for the nation. Um, this picture of a nation uh, with God supposed to be at the helm, and they weren't. And so he cries out to them for confession. But he also cries out for his father's house, right? In the verse, it talks about his father's house. And he's now bringing that home to the reality of the need of confession and how close it is to him. And it's not just something that's out there that everybody else needs to deal with, but but we need to deal with it in our families and in our household. But he drills even further in the verse. He says, I, my sin, my sin. And how much time do we spend before the Lord examining our hearts and coming before him and crying out to him with my sin? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. There's an amazing truth. You didn't earn that. You don't deserve that. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all and all kinds of unrighteousness. James 5, 16, therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is great power as it is working. Proverbs twenty eight thirteen whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. In Psalm 32, 5, I acknowledge my sin to you and I do not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. The fifth thing we learn from Nehemiah's prayer is that he comes with a repentant heart and he comes filled with confession. When you come to the Lord in prayer, Are you so eager to get to the top 10 things that you need that you never really come to search me, oh God, and know my heart, try me and know my thoughts? And then you change your mind about those things and you turn and you move in a new direction in repentance that's the fifth thing here's the second thing in his prayer things that we can learn from his prayer I mean, he trusts God's promises he trusts God's promises look at uh, starting at verse eight remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses if you are unfaithful I will scatter you among the people that's the negative, of uh, the positive. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost part of the heaven, everywhere sp- all over on the earth, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Nehemiah, as he come? Uh, he remembers what the promises of God were. What what he talked about in the first part about how you'll be scattered comes right out of Leviticus uh, chapter twenty six verse thirty three. Uh, this is what's going to happen if you disobey. This is what's going to happen if you disobey. But he remembered God's promises. We've already seen some of them, but he remembered God's promise about He'll take care of them and how He will restore them and. And when you get to a place in your life of brokenness and you're like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, it can very easily become woe is me and we need to come back to, so what are the promises of God? What does he promise to do? And I already saw it in confession. If we confess, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all all kinds of unrighteousness. That's a promise of God. That's what he does for us. You know, if you're old like me, you probably remember uh, being in church and uh, singing a hymn called, I believe it was called Standing on the Promises, but the first verse was Standing on the Promises, I cannot fall, listening every moment to the Spirit's call, resting in my Savior as my all in all, standing on the promises of God. Are you standing on His promises? And my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Philippians 4:19. Are you standing on that promise? Jeremiah 29:11. We already win that passage already, for I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord, Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Psalm 37:14, "Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Whoa, I get the desires of my heart. Yeah, make sure you get the first part of the verse right. If you want the second part of the verse. But delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Romans 8, 28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, 2 Peter 1.4, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers in the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. 2 Corinthians 1.20, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. He comes back and he remembers and he puts a strong focus on the promises of God. In verse 10, he goes into another part of that. Uh, They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed. Whoa, amazing what God has done in that. By your great power and by your strong hand. And so he goes from the promises to the understanding that that we have been redeemed. We have been redeemed. Redeemed. Um, The second part of that redemption is that God has redeemed us so that we would live out our lives uh, growing up in Christ every day, not perfectly wrestling as we move forward, but moving forward. Can you see the wrestle that's going on in this man's heart? Can you see the struggle that's going on in him and even his cry out for the failure of the nation and the failure of his family and the failure of his own life? But he still cries out and he still moves forward because why? Because God has redeemed us by his great hand. And so we don't give up. We keep on praying. We don't pack it in. We remain faithful because we know God's promises and we know that he will keep us. As followers of Jesus Christ, we don't give up. When it gets hard, we don't lean out. We lean in. We lean in on prayer. We lean in on the word. We lean in on relationships with other believers because God has redeemed us. Well, that's kind of the secondary part in God's keeping of us. But the first part is God's redemption in his saving of us, in his saving of us. And he understood that, that he had been redeemed, that God had taken. The word redeemed literally means to purchase back. It means to purchase back. We have sinned. We're separated from God. And we have no hope. He didn't understand this like we understand it. And Jesus Christ came and was and is the redemption from our sin. He was the payment. It wasn't in cash, it wasn't, the payment for our sin was the pure, spotless, unblemished savior who shed his blood. The currency for my redemption was the blood of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1 7 it says in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Galatians two twenty, I have been crucified with Christ it's no longer I who live but Christ who lives in, in me and the life I now live in the flesh I live by the faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Titus 2.14, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. 1 Peter 1.18-19, knowing that you are ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb, Without blemish or spot, now, you have redeemed us, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Hey, our lives every day should be built on really on really two cool focuses. Uh, the first one is, like, what has God done? what has God done, and focusing back to our salvation every day. When you're struggling, when you're wrestling, think back to who the Lord is and what he's done for us, and then we think about the other cool thing we should be focusing on is where we're going and the blessings that are coming, and we're in this time in between, and we're going to figure it all out, and we're going to seek to live together, and we're going to seek to glorify God, and all the rest of it, and we're, we're growing. We're not what we will be or should be, but we're not what we were. That's where we are right now, but there's something so much better that's coming, and That's the picture of our redemption and what God has done for us. Probably most of the people in the room have come to the place where they've trusted Jesus Christ. They've understood that the currency of His blood through that perfect life that was lived was the only thing that could pay for our sin. But maybe you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ, you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. We talked about it last week. It's just, you admit the fact that you're a sinner separated from God. You believe, you believe what Christ has done for you. You confess with your mouth that he is Lord and you are, you are saved. It changes you. The old is gone, the new has come. It gives you a different life. All those things happen in your life, but what do you do? You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. You come back and you rejoice in the power of redemption that comes from God alone. You put your faith in Christ. you've never done that i would urge you i would encourage you i would beg of you that today would be the day you did that jason walked into the office on wednesday morning he was glowing like moses i think in the old testament for a little while because he came in to tell us that five students in our youth ministry trusted jesus christ on tuesday night you want, to put you want to put wind in our sails? Yeah, exactly. We should be screaming and shouting and hooting and hollering, right? Because that's what God does. That's how God works. That's His redemption. That's why we're here. The last thing in His prayer, He pleads to God believing God for the results look at verse 11 real quick it says "O Lord let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servants to today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man now I was cupbearer to the king he he comes to the place of asking he comes to the place of asking Now the walls are broken down the thing is destroyed the nation is in ruin and so he's going to go to the king He's going to go to the king and ask him if, if he can go and rebuild the walls. And then he's going to ask the king to pay for it. See, it wasn't a puny little prayer. It wasn't like help us to get home on Macowan without dying in a traffic accident, right? You get home and it's like, well, I, I kind of did that on my own. It's a prayer that's like so far beyond. It's a prayer that requires great faith. It's a prayer that if God doesn't come through, it's not going to happen. Do you pray like that? Do you have prayers like that? Do you pray that God would do things like that? He does them. He's doing them. He's doing them in our church. He's doing them on a regular basis. You think about the room we sit in, how God ordained all of this and how he worked for all of this to come together, taken us from some kind of a ragtag group and made us into what God has done, allowed us to be involved in a church plant in Durham and now another campus up in Newmarket. And, and then God saves five students this week. You better believe God is doing things that we can't explain. But are you asking God to do things that you can't explain? Or everything at the end of the day, when it's done, it was like, yeah, I tried hard, I worked hard, I got the promotion because of me. Nehemiah is going to go before the king, and he says he asked for mercy in the sight of this man. Oh, this man was the king. That's who he's talking about. Why was that important? Well, he could go before the king, and if the king didn't like him that day or or wondered what he's about, now he's trying to get out of Dodge and not do his job, and the king king could have had him snuffed out. That's what the king could have done, and so he's going to go to the king, and we see part of that in chapter 2, verse 5, and it says, And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my forefather's graves, that I may rebuild it. King, I would like to leave. I'd like you to take care of all the needs we have because I'm going to go and rebuild a city. Hmm. See, when that was over, he knew who did it. And so what is there in your prayers that are beyond who you are? They're God-size things. That if God doesn't come through, they're they're not going to happen. Seven things that we can learn from Nehemiah's prayer Well, so what? So what? In verse 4, it says, As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept. That's what Nehemiah did. Immediately, he wept over their condition, he wept over the removal of God's blessing. He wept over his nation's failure before him. He wept over his own failure, the failure of his family. He cried out to God with confidence. He trusted the Lord for more. He asked God to do God-sized things. That's what he did. But what about you? It's 2015. And we live in Canada. Canada. And our nation's demise just seems to be around the corner. And the struggles are going on. And we hear the news. It says that Nehemiah sat down. When you consider who God is and what He's doing and where He's placed us, can you be a person like that and you hear what's going on? And you, a person who would sit down. I sat down and I and I wept Lord our nation is in great trouble The body of Christ is not standing like it should I sat down and I and I wept The spiritual walls are broken down God God what will you do How will you work See, it's not just about Nehemiah way out there somewhere. It's about us. It's about our passion. It's about what do we do when we hear and when we, when we see these things. God, give me a heart, a heart to weep over the condition of our land. Give me a heart to weep over the condition of our people. God, give me a heart to weep over my own condition before you. He sat down and he wept, Lord. Do I sit down and do I weep? Lord, you've, you've removed the blessing on our nation. And we go on like it's just another day. He sat down and he wept. He wept for his nation. He wept for their failure before God. He wept for his family. He wept for himself. He confessed, he repented, and he cried out for God to do something that only God could do. Unceasing prayer. Believing firmly in the power of prayer. Oh God, do that work that you did in him. Do that work in me for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.